Thank you, Brother Godwin. Uh, the way you led the service so well, the beautiful singing and music was outstanding. Man, last night was so good. Got off to a great start. Couldn't have been any better. Brother Joel Holmes talking about prayer and preaching on prayer was absolutely a tremendous and challenging message, and I enjoyed it with all of my heart. It was a great, great message. Everybody said amen. Praise God. I appreciate the word of God we've heard today. This morning, we uh, started off by hearing the word of God. And Brother Tony Spell just preached an outstanding message this morning. Great preaching. Amen. I enjoyed it so much. And uh, then um, Brother Floyd Odom was the capable moderator for these, this panel discussion. And uh, Brother uh, John Shoemaker, Brother Miles Young, and Brother uh, Joel Booker, and Brother Dan McClure, and uh, I don't know, there was one or two more, wasn't it? Man, just a tremendous, tremendous. I, when, when I sit there and listen, I thought, these young men have got a mighty understanding of the Word of God. And it was obvious. This wasn't just something recited. This was coming from their heart. I believe the church is in good hands. I said, I believe the church is in good hands. Amen. We've got a lot of young preachers coming on. They, they love God and believe the truth. So if somebody tells you there's not any young preachers that love God anymore and believe the truth anymore and know what's right anymore, you tell them, no, that's not the case. We know it's on the boom. Praise God. God's going to have a church, isn't he? I said, God's going to have a church. Amen. And then with the Crawford Coon, our wonderful chairman of the WPF, just a great man of God that I esteem so highly in the work of the Lord and love him deeply and his wife. Wonderful, wonderful people. And he's doing a great, great job. Couldn't be doing any better leading the WPF than, he, than he's doing right now. And I love and appreciate him so much. Praise God. He preached and taught a wonderful Bible study today. And so I, I feel... I feel blessed to be here. Amen. I said, I feel blessed to be here. And I know that tomorrow and tomorrow night I'm going to hear some things that's going to be outstanding, so I'm excited about that as well. Good to see all of you that are here. Isn't the Lord good? I'm going to appreciate His goodness tonight. Let's lift our hands and praise Him one more time. Most of you already 
know this wonderful truth. It would be my, my desire that I would uh, reinforce the tremendous truth of Jesus Christ as a mighty God. I don't think there's any subject we could talk about that would be any more important. And it is a subject that the devil doesn't like when we present Jesus as a mighty God. The devil doesn't like that. The devil opposes that. The devil fights against that. And um, tonight we're, we're here to exalt the truth of God. There are different types of beliefs about God. And uh, there's the polytheist, and they believe in many gods. And there's a monotheist who believes in one God. And there's an atheist that doesn't, doesn't believe in any God. And then there's the Trinitarian who believes in three gods. Now, understand that most Trinitarians will not uh, acknowledge the fact that they believe in three gods. But um, I'm going to set forth tonight that there is one God and His name is one. I'm going to set forth tonight that the doctrine of the Trinity is not of God, it's not of the Word of God. And I'm not going to be bashful about it, I'm going to be bold about it. Amen. I don't intend to be mean or ugly about it, but I intend to be plain tonight. Hallelujah, that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Amen. Praise God. And uh, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where the booker told me while we was praying a while ago, he said, I want to give you a good verse to start on. And uh, he gave me Deuteronomy 6 and 4. I said, give me a good one to stop on then. And he said, go to verse 5. Stop on that. But uh, I'm going to stop you at Deuteronomy. Chapter 6 and verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. I'll give a few verses if you care to follow me. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 10. Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 11. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord. My servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Luke 2 and 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And yet we have God the Father saying, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, and verse number uh, 6 through 8, I'd like to read. 44 and 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call, and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show unto them, fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it. You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. God said, there is no God beside me. I know not any. Some people know more than God and less than the devil. Amen. When they claim to know two or three gods, God said, I'm God, and I don't know any more 
And yet, in James chapter 2, thou believest there is one God, 2 and 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. For old preachers in it, they've been created to have no respect to Praise God. But some people know, know more than God, they think, but they know less than the devil. Now, in Isaiah 44 and 24, thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, I'm reading several Old Testament verses to begin. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed me from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone. Everybody say alone. That spreadeth above the earth by myself. Everybody say by myself. God said, I stretch forth the heavens alone. I spread upon the earth by myself. Then you go to Isaiah 45 and verse number 5. 45 and 5, I am the Lord and there's none else. There is no God beside me. I go to thee, though thou hast not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light, create darkness. I make peace, create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Amen. And so over and over, God says, there's one God, there's only one God, and there's not two and not three. I want to say in the beginning tonight, there's not a place in the Bible that teaches there are two gods or three gods. Furthermore, there's not a scripture in the Bible that teaches there are two persons in the Godhead are three persons in the Godhead. The Bible never says there's two persons or people or personalities in the Godhead are three, but it constantly affirms the fact that there is one God and His name is one. Amen. The Bible speaks often in, in, throughout the Scriptures about the Holy One. I've yet to read about the Holy Two. I've yet to read about the Holy Three. But it always talks about the Holy One. And the word Trinity is not in the Bible. If you've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll never find the word Trinity. So why should we teach a doctrine or a dogma or a teaching tonight that is not taught in the Word of God? Let God be true and every man alive. Amen. Isaiah 45 and 18. Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it and created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Verse 21, same chapter. Tell me and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be you saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. And yet Paul said it's to Jesus Christ that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. We who believe that Jesus is the mighty God have no trouble with these verses of Scripture, for we understand there is only one God, not two, not three, not two people, not three, not a trinity, not a triune Godhead, but there is one God, and we declare His name tonight. Everybody shout His name. 
Amen. If you'll turn to Malachi, right in the end of the Old Testament, the last, the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse number 10. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Notice that. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Amen. We all have one God and one Father. Jesus said, Call no man Father upon the earth, because we all have one Father which is in heaven, and that's God. There's only one God. There's only one Father. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. Isaiah 9 and 6, prophetic utterance of Isaiah the prophet, when he prophesies a future tense, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that child that was going to be born would be called the Mighty God. He'd be called the Everlasting Father. He'd be called the Prince of Peace. God has many titles, but I'm telling you, there is one name that identifies our God in this day, and that's Jesus. When you say Jesus, you've said it all. Everybody say praise the Lord. In the New Testament, in St. John chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I like that. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 19, the Apostle Paul says, To wit that God was in Christ. John chapter 4 and verse 24 said, God is a spirit. And to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. I believe for a long time now that the Godhead can be understood basically in two words. And that's spirit and flesh. When you talk about the Father, you're talking about the spirit. When you talk about the Son, you're talking about the flesh, the body of Jesus Christ. That he, that he gave as a sacrifice. He was our sacrifice. He was our sacrificial lamb. He was the mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. He died for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. God was in Christ. Jesus could say the works that I do, it's not me, it's the Father that dwells in me. He doeth the work. We know that Jesus was both God and man. He was human and divine. He was flesh and spirit. He was humanity and deity. Hallelujah. Jesus wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just another priest or rabbi. He wasn't just another good man that came along at that point in history. He was God manifest in the flesh. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord tonight. 
First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, and without controversy or argument, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Hallelujah. He said he was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He preached in the Gentiles and was believed on in this world and was received up in the glory. God say, who did that? You say Jesus. And the Paul said it was God. There's no problem here because Jesus is God. God was in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus that you see go up into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. Hallelujah. And yet Paul said that was God. I'm glad for the understanding tonight, for the revelation tonight of the Word of God that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. That he's the everlasting Father. That he's the Prince of Peace. That he's the Rose of Sharon. That he's the Lily of the Valley. That he's the Bright and Morning Star. That he's the fairest of 10,000 to our soul. That he is our way out of no way. That he is our way when there seemed to be none. That he is our healer. He is our Holy Ghost baptizer. Paul said, all the fullness of the Godhead rules in Jesus Christ. All oh, us worship him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You might say, well, why, why do you place such emphasis on this? I believe tonight, and I'm going to speak plainly, I believe that you must believe that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. But it's not optional. It's not a maybe so. You've got to get the understanding and the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. This is not some secondary teaching. I'm telling you the basis of the doctrine of the New Testament church is built upon the truth of the fact that Jesus was the mighty God. We must believe that. Hallelujah. John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, hallelujah, if you believe not that I am, Moses said, God, who am I going to tell him sent me? He said, tell him that I am that sent you. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Because the fact is that if you don't believe Jesus is the mighty God, then you'll not get baptized in Jesus' name. And the only way to get your sins remitted is to be baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Baptism is not optional. It's not an outward profession of inward faith. Hallelujah. It's not just a, a, an obedience to church dogma. We must be baptized in the name, in the name of Jesus Christ to have our sins remitted. Amen. Hallelujah. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, and verse number 29, and Jesus answered him the first of all the commandments. The first of all the commandments is here in Israel. The Lord our God is 
one Lord. Hallelujah. I, I don't see why it should be much trouble believing this great truth. Praise God. The Bible is clear, and especially clear and plain on the subject that there's one God. Old brother in Tennessee used to say, a blind man with leather glasses on could see this. Praise God. It's the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I said the truth doesn't restrict you. The truth doesn't bind you. The truth makes you free. And whom the Son and make free is free indeed. Hallelujah. In John chapter 14 and verse number 6. I want to read tonight. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now, and Philip said in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffice, and it will satisfy us. Jesus said unto him, Have I? He didn't ask to see you, he asked to see the Father. Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? He said, when you see me, you've seen the Father, because the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in Jesus Christ. God is in Christ. Glory. Hallelujah. In St. John 10 and 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are how many? The world says there's two. The bottom of the Trinity says there's two. But Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4 5 said, uh, There is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism, and there's one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, hallelujah, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Glory to God. There is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, on Calvary, my God didn't die. I don't believe in dead deity. I don't believe in a dead God. I don't serve a dead God. He who died was God, but on Calvary, God didn't die. The Son of God died. The flesh died. The humanity died. But I'm telling you that God, the eternal Spirit, didn't die on that cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. I said, my God didn't die. God's a spirit. That spirit's never died. I said that spirit never has died. And it never will die. Glory to God. Thank God for this virus too tonight. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, Lemma Sabathani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I heard a Trinitarian preacher preach here a while back. He said, can't you just see God the Father sitting up in the heaven? And he couldn't stand to watch the glory bloody scene of Calvary and to watch his son die. And so he turned his back on his son. That's why he said, uh, this was his explanation, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm going to tell you something, friend. This wasn't one God forsaking another God. 
Hallelujah. What happened at Calvary? The spirit left the body so the body could die and become our substitute and our sacrifice. The spirit didn't die. Are you with me tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That spirit forsook and left the body so the body could die. And that body spent three days and nights in the heart of the earth. And I'm going to tell you, after three days and nights, that spirit re-entered that body. And he resurrected. Hallelujah. He resurrected from the dead. And he's alive forevermore. And he's got the keys of death and of hell. Glory! I feel his awesome presence in this house tonight. I wish somebody shout to God with me. I wish somebody shout to God with me. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I said, God the Father never died. The Spirit never died. The Son died. Somebody shout amen. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He said, one God, one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. John 2.19. Uh, James, I'm sorry. James 2.19. Now believers, there's one God. God do us well. That devil's hell shall believe and tremble. First John 5 and verse number 7 says, for the three that bear record in heaven, it does not say there are three in heaven. It said there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, 
the Word, which is the Son. Remember, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. So that Word was the Son. Hallelujah. First John 5 and 7 said, The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And let's let Brother John give us the occasion. Hallelujah. Let's let him give us the math on this. He said, And these three are one. Praise God. Praise God. My father was debating a, a phenomenal preacher one time. And I was there. And I was a younger man at that time, and my dad was debating, preaching of hundreds of people present. My dad got a blackboard out. He was a country preacher, but he knew the truth. And Brother Clooney got a blackboard out there, and he wrote on there, John said, these three are one. He said, when my honorable opponent comes back and uh, gives his response, I want him to write on this board how many he believes. When the man got back up there, he said, well, Mr. Godard said that these three are one. He said, I say, and he went on the board, these three are three. And he wrote three on the board. And some of his own people laughed and was gone. Some of his own people got up and walked out. And one of his members got baptized and got the Holy Ghost and became a faithful member of the dead church. Praise God, these three are one. I said, these three are one. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They're the three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Hallelujah. Thank God for the truth. I said, thank God for the truth. I said, thank God for the truth. Does anybody believe it tonight? There's one God. Praise God. Praise God. Now we understand that there was a dual nature of Jesus. Jesus was both God and man and human divines, we've already said. He said, I'm my Father one. He said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Amen. Who is it that answers prayer? John 15, 14 says it was Jesus. John 15, 16 says it's the Father. Amen. Who has the drawing power? John 12.32 said Jesus. John 6.44 says it's the Father. Who is the Alpha and Omega? Revelation 1 and 8 says it's Jesus. Revelation 21, 6 and 7 says it's the Father. Who is the coming one? John 14.3 says it's Jesus. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says it's the Father. Hallelujah. Surely we don't believe that two persons raised Jesus from the dead. I that two persons answers prayer. I that two persons call us to God. I that two persons are the Alpha and Omega. I that two persons are coming back again. Hallelujah. It only solidifies the great truth that our God is one. Hallelujah. We believe, some people say, and the Trinitarians accuse us of believing, that there's not the Son of God. They say, you folks don't believe in the Son. That's not true. We believe in the Son of God. We believe that that spirit that was uh, that conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and she brought forth the, the child, that that flesh was the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hebrews 5 and 8 says, the Son learned. John 17 says, the Son prayed. John 4, 1 John 4, 14 and John 13, 16 said, the Son sent. Mark 13, 32 said, the Son knoweth not. 
Hallelujah. Sometimes the Trinitarians look at us and say, what are you going to do with that person said that, that Jesus said that sometimes he doesn't know, but only the Father knows. I said, I don't have any problem with that. That sometimes the flesh doesn't know that the Spirit knows. First John 14, uh, John 14, 28 says that Jesus was less great than the Father. First John 1 and 7 said the Son had blood. And Galatians 2.20 said the Son died. The Son died. All of this clearly shows us that Jesus was the man, was the Son of God. Hallelujah. The angel clearly said that to Mary in Luke 135. That holy thing that shall be born to thee shall be called the Son of God. And in Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under law, to redeem us from the curse of the law, that we should receive the adoption of sons. Hallelujah. I said that flesh was the Son of God. We believe in the Son of God. We believe strongly in the Son of God. There's no one that believes in the Son of God more than we do. The Spirit conceived in Mary, and she brought forth the Son. That Son lived 33 and a half or so years. That Son went to the cross. That Son died. That Son was put in the grave. That Son resurrected when the Spirit reigned in the third day. And He ascended to heaven and sent back the gift of the Holy Ghost. On the day of Pentecost at the birthday of the church. Hallelujah. Thank God that there is a Son of God. We understand that that flesh was the Son of God. And that flesh is, it came as a substitute to die for us. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4 4 said there is one Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Lord Jesus is that same Lord. The titles of the Spirit reveal that He is the Son in redemption. He came to redeem us. Galatians 4.6, the Spirit of His Son. Acts 16.17, calls it the Spirit of Jesus. Philippians 1.19, calls it the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But there's not two people. And there's not three people. The only person we'll see when we get to heaven is Jesus Christ. I said the only person we'll see when we get to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. If I read right in Revelation 4, 1 and 2, and in other places, there's only one throne in heaven. I said there's only one throne. And there's only one occupant on that throne. And his name is crystal clear. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God in the Old Testament operated as a spirit. But in the New Testament, that spirit was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life. And he ascended to heaven. And he sent back now his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Not three people, not three gods, but three manifestations of the one true God. Let's clap our hands to him tonight. Amen. If you were to ask, who is the abiding one? Matthew 28 and 20 says it's Jesus. John 14, 16 says it's the Spirit. 
Who is who makes intercession for us? Hebrews 7, 25 and, and uh, also 4, 15 says it. Jesus, Romans 8, 26 says it's the Spirit. Who is our paraclete? 1 John 2 and 1 says it. Jesus, John 14 says it's the Spirit. Who is the speaker in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Revelation 1 and 8 through 12, 22 and 16 says it. Jesus, but in chapter 2 verse 7 says it's the Spirit. There's not two people here. There's not two persons here. Hallelujah. We don't have two abiding ones. We don't have two intercessors. We don't have two paraclates. We do not have two speakers giving the message to the seven churches of Asia. But in every case, hallelujah, it is Jesus our Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. Or as orphans, I will come to you. Thank you, Jesus. When you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the Spirit of Jesus in your life. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Colossians 2 and 9. says, in him with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him. John 20 and 22 says he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And the day that you can establish the difference between a person and our breath is the day that you can prove that there's a difference between Jesus and the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Lesson 127 said the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Christ in you. He was man and he was also God. John 8.40, let me move quickly. John 8.40, Jesus was man. John 20.28, he was God. John 8.57, he was not 50 years old. Micah 5 and 2, he was also eternal. Luke 2.16, he's a babe. Isaiah 9 and 6, he's a mighty God. Hebrews 5 and 8, he was learning. John 21 and 17, he knows everything. 2 Corinthians 13.4, he was weak and weary. Revelation 1 and 8, he's the Almighty. Hallelujah. I said, he's the Almighty. Jesus is not part mighty. He's not one part mighty. He is the Almighty. The all-sufficient one. Hallelujah. Mark 2 and 10 says that he was on earth. John 3, 13, he told Nicodemus that he was also in heaven. At the same time, he's on earth. Hallelujah. I'll talk about that in a moment. Who was that voice that spoke while Jesus was being baptized by John the River of Jordan? I said Jesus was on earth and in heaven at the same time. Isaiah 9 and 6 said he's the son. It says he's also the father. Luke 22, 41 says he prayed. John 14, 14 says he answers prayer. I don't see two people here. I see two natures, human and divine. Titus 2.13 says he's the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 and 8, he's the Almighty. First John 5 and 20, he Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jude chapter 1, the only chapter, verse 4, says he's the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. James 2 and 1, he's the Lord of glory. James 2.19, he's one God. Hallelujah. Let me tell you tonight, there's not two people in the Godhead, but here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now the question is asked, how many people did Stephen see 
when he was being stoned to death. In Acts chapter 7, the Bible says that Stephen was stoned to death, first martyr of the Christian faith of the Christian church. And he was stoned to death, and he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. Now let me set this forth, and these young men did a masterful job today. I appreciated everything they said. It was absolutely phenomenal. But when you talk about the right hand of God, you're not talking about a person. You're talking about power and authority. Amen. Stephen did not say, he did not say, I see Jesus and God. He said he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He didn't say, I see Jesus and God. He knew better than that because the Bible said, no man has seen God at any time. Hallelujah. God is invisible, and it's impossible to see anyone that anything that is invisible. Praise God. But the Bible said, Colossians 1.6, Hebrews 1 and 3, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. I can't see a, a spirit, but that spirit embodies itself. And I can see Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. He is God's person. He is God's body. And he's all of God that we'll ever see. He's in the face of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. Exodus 15 and 6, maybe they said it today. Moses and the Israelites were safe on the Red Sea, and they claimed to have seen the right hand of God. When the waters fell in upon the, the people, they were drowned. They said, we have seen the right hand of God. They didn't see a hand. They didn't see a physical hand. They saw the power, and they saw the glory of God. Hallelujah. I said they saw the power of God. Glory. Stephen was an Israelite. He knew the Israelite scriptures. And when he used the expression, the right hand of God, he knew exactly what Moses meant when he said the same thing. Hallelujah. Moses said he had seen the right hand of God, denoting power and authority. Hallelujah. Stephen saw Jesus in the place of power and glory. He didn't see him as the second person of the triune God. He didn't see him as the second person of the Trinity. He saw Jesus as the power of God, as the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the truth. I said, thank God for the truth. One pastor told me one time, Brother Spell said he had a young convert in his church. Young man, what lights bright up there? I can't see y'all because I don't see me. Now I can see you. Praise God. Now I can see who's looking at me and who's not. Glory to God. Now I can see who's going to sleep. Glory to God. But his pastor told me that he had a new convert. And he said he didn't know anything about Scripture. Brand new. Just got baptized and got told those. Didn't understand the Scriptures. But he believed the truth. He was all excited. So he started witnessing to a Trinitarian guy. And he said, uh, this Trinitarian guy asked him, said, uh, what about that person, Acts 7, where, uh, where Stephen said, I see Jesus at the right hand of God? The convert never heard that. He didn't know anything about that. He never read that verse. He's brand new. He just knew what he got. The copy was good. It was from the Lord. And so the new convert asked the Trinitarian guy, he said, 
What happened right about that time? What did you say? He said, the rest of that verse, what happened? He said, well, he was being stoned to death. And he said, oh. He had to think quick. He came up with a quick answer. He told the guy, guys, said, anybody's getting hit inside the head with rocks, I'll say anything. Praise God. But the fact is that there's one God, and Stephen didn't say, I see two or three. He saw one. Praise God. Praise God. I'm happy about the truth tonight. I said, I'm happy about the truth tonight. You know, in Exodus 8 19, talks about the right hand of God. Exodus 15 6 talks about the right hand of God. Luke 11 20 talks about the finger of God. Jesus said he cast out devils by the finger of God. And I don't believe that he reached up into heaven and got a hold of God's big finger and pulled it down. There isn't anybody who believes that. When it talks about the right hand of God or the finger of God, that's not speaking of a person or, or of a physical hand or a physical arm. Amen. Matthew 26, 64 said Jesus is at the right hand of power. Somebody say power. Matthew 26, 64, right hand of power. Mark 13 and 62 says the right hand of power. Let me ask you this. If God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, if God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-sufficient, everywhere present at the same time, how can you, if he's everywhere, how can you get on the right hand of heaven? Where is the right hand of everywhere? God's everywhere. You can't go anywhere that God's not there. Amen. What are you saying? I'm saying that he's talking about power and authority, not a physical hand. Hallelujah. There's no such thing in this Bible as the eternal son. The Bible never speaks of the eternal son, but the Bible calls him the begotten son. We don't believe he was the eternal son. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. He's not the eternal son of God. He's the begotten. Anything begotten is not eternal. Anything eternal is not begotten. Those two words are diametrically opposed to each other. Hallelujah. Jesus is not the eternal Son of God. He's the begotten Son of God. Hallelujah. And if, as Trinitarians affirm, Stephen saw two men, then God is not invisible. If that be true, if he saw a person, then God has been seen. Then Jesus is not the express image of God, but simply an image. And Stephen committed his spirit to the wrong member of the Trinity. Are you still with me? Praise God. I said, I don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinitarians teach two or three separate distinct persons in the Godhead. It's not the truth. It is not the truth. There is no Trinity. It's a man-made, man-devised, man-conceived ideology, a, a doctrine, a dogma. It's not the Word of God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. There's not two people or three. There's one. This theory of the Trinity was brought into existence by the Roman Emperor Constantine, who called the conference at Nicaea.
And at this council, the word Logos in the book of John chapter 1 was thought by them to be a separate person from God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God. And that smaller town of Nicaea, located in Asia Minor, on the shores of the Bosphorus, 45 miles from Constantinople, the Trinitarians introduced the theory of three persons existing in the Godhead 325 years after Jesus was born. Jesus knew nothing of the Trinity. The apostles knew nothing of the Trinity. The Bible speaks nothing of the Trinity. You can search the Bible over. Amen. More than 300 bishops attended the meeting in a great hall in Constantine's palace in a setting of pomp and splendor. So ungodly had the religious leaders become, and so heated was their discussion that history records a fistfight occurring between Arius and Athenaeus, who were presbyters in the church in Alexandria in the presence of Constantine. And history says that Athenaeus' views were adopted and the members introduced the theology to the world that there were three separate persons in the Godhead. It's not the truth. I said it's not the truth. I said it's not the truth. The same church that gave the the world the Trinity has given us other false doctrine. Hear me tonight. I said the same church in Rome that gave us the, gave the world the Trinity didn't give it to us. I rejected, but they've also given other false doctrine. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The church didn't start in Rome. It started in Jerusalem. I was reading something the other day. This is the church in Rome that gave the world the Trinity. In 607, that's the church that made Boniface the third, the first pope. They say that Peter was the first pope. The Bible never says nothing about that. Besides, that pope can't be married. Peter had a mother-in-law. And if you've got a mother-in-law, you must have a wife somewhere. But uh, uh, Peter didn't know anything about this pope business. In 709, the church at Rome instituted the kissing of the pope's foot. In 786, they instituted the worship of images and relics. In 850, they introduced the use of holy water. In 995 AD, this same church at Rome introduced the canonization of dead saints. In 998, they introduced fasting on Fridays and during Lent. In 1079, they introduced celibacy for the priesthood. In 1090, they introduced prayer beads. In 1184, they introduced the Inquisition. In 1190, the Church of Rome introduced the sale of indulgences. In 1215, they introduced the doctrine of transubstantiation. In 1220, they introduced the adoration of the wafer. wafer. In 1229, they introduced the idea that the Bible was forbidden to laymen, and that's why you've got a dark ages. Hallelujah. I said the church at Rome didn't want the common people to have a Bible. They wanted to tell them what it said, and they didn't want them to have a Bible. Bibles were confiscated. People were killed. They forbid the average person to have a Bible. I'm glad that God's got a church. God said there'd be a former rain and there'll be a latter rain. 
That former reign was the first church of the first century, and the latter reign is the church of the, of, of the last hundred years or so. I'm glad that the church tonight is not inferior to the first church. Everything they had, we have. Every truth they had, we have. Praise God. Let me see it. The same church at Rome in 1406 introduced baptism by sprinkling. In 1414, they introduced a cup forbidden to certain people of communion. In 1439, they introduced the doctrine of the purgatory. In 1439, they introduced the doctrine of the seven sacraments. In 1508, they introduced the idea of the Ave Maria. That was approved. 1534, the Jesuit order was founded. 1545, tradition was granted equal authority with the Bible. Hear that? In 1545, the Catholic Church says their tradition has equal authority with the Bible. That is not true. This book, the Bible, stands by itself. Hallelujah. In, in, uh, in uh, 15 and 1854, the, the, the Immaculate uh, Conception of Mary was introduced. 1870, introduced the infallibility of the Pope. 1930, public schools was condemned in their own schools started by the Church of Rome. 1950, they introduced the idea of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. 1965, Mary was proclaimed mother of the church. That's the same church that gave the world all of this, that gave them the Trinity. I refuse to accept one of the things that I've heard there tonight. I refuse to accept what Rome said, but I received what God said. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. I said, I'm not following Rome. I'm following the Word of God. I'm following Jesus Christ. We're not going to follow man-made creed and doctrine and doctrine and philosophy of men, but we accept and receive the Word of God. Let me ask you a question tonight. Here's a few questions that I've asked Trinitarians in my discussions with them. Amen. One of the questions that I ask Trinitarians in my discussion with them is, what is the meaning of the words in Isaiah 44, 24, the meaning of the words himself and alone? And is it possible to be by yourself and alone and have somebody with you at the same time? Said so I stretched forth the heavens alone and spread about the earth by myself. But Trinitarians say Jesus was there with him, it's a separate person or personality. Is it possible to be alone and by yourself and have somebody with you at the same time? Another question that I've asked Trinitarians that I haven't gotten a good answer on yet. Said Jesus was the firstborn of every creature. Was he before Adam? And if so, who was his mother? Amen. Another question that I've asked Trinitarians through the years, was Mary's son God? If so, does that make Mary the mother of God? Hallelujah. Mary is not the mother of God. She's the mother of the Son of God. 
And you know what? Mary had to go to the upper room in Acts 2 and get the Holy Ghost just like the rest of them got. Praise God, praise God. I said, Mary, got the Holy Ghost just like the rest of them. Acts 1.15 says she did. Another question that I've asked Trinitarians and haven't gotten a good answer on. Inasmuch as Jesus said, my father is greater than I, how can one be equal with one who is greater? They say the father and the son are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now, the word of that's true. Are they co-equal? No. Jesus said, my father certainly is greater than I. How can you be equal with someone who is greater than you? Are they coexistent? That's what Trendy says. That means they start existing at the same time. No, no, no. God the Father has always been. You cannot trace his origin or beginning. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Said so they're co-eternal. No, they're not co-eternal. The sonship age has a beginning, and according to 1 Corinthians 15, the sonship age will have an ending. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ came for an express reason and a purpose, and he fulfilled that purpose. Hallelujah. I said he did everything he came to do. He purchased salvation for you and me and for the whole world. But without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Another question I've asked Trinitarians, and I'll ask you tonight. When the disciples saw both the Father... And the Son, John 12, 45. How many persons in the Godhead did they see? They saw both the Father and the Son, John 12, 45. How many persons did they see? I haven't gotten an answer yet, but priests and Trinitarians will never. And question number six that I've asked, I've just made a note of it through the years. It, is Jesus the name referred to in Acts 4, 12? I ask Trinitarians this. Is Jesus the name referred to in Acts 4 and 12? If so, is water baptism limited to that name? All right now. If Jesus the name that's referred to in Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none of the name in heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If Jesus the name that's mentioned in Acts 4 and 12, if it is and it is, is what a baptism limited to that name? Another question that I've asked Trinitarians. What is the name that is above every name? There is, and your Bible says, there's a name that's above every name. What is that name that's above every name? Amen. Jesus. Another question I've asked in the text. How, they say Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. Now, how can the second person, think with me, how can the second person of the Trinity be the son of the first person of the Trinity and still be fathered? By the third person of the Trinity. I haven't gotten an answer on that yet. 
Hallelujah. I haven't had one Trinitarian that'll give me an answer on that. There's a man started debating with me in the Durham newspaper. He debated on the Godhead. He, when he named our church, I thought it was time for me to answer. Amen. So I took out an ad in the paper and I gave him an answer. Praise God. You say, I don't believe in fool with that. I'll tell you the truth. I've sat around and listened to false doctrine long enough. I want the truth to be known. I want the truth to be known. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except to be sent? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let me ask you one more time. How can the second person of the Trinity, they say to Jesus, be the son of the first person of the Trinity and still be fathered of the third person? Another question I'd ask the Trinitarians is this. Who was the Father of Jesus? God the Father or God the Holy Ghost? If there's three separate persons, who is the Father of Jesus Christ? Was it the Father or was it the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. These are questions that I've never got a decent answer from a Trinitarian. I want to tell you tonight, friend, there's one Lord. There's one God. There's one name. There's one church. There's one Savior. There's one Redeemer. There's one propitiation for sin. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going I'm to close in just a little bit. But I put an article in the paper that the Bible doesn't mention or teach the doctrine of the Trinity. I've had preachers tell me, now don't use the word Trinity, you offender. Don't talk about false doctrine. Be positive. Well, I'm very positively preaching against the Trinity tonight. Just as positive as I know how, I'm saying it doesn't exist. It's the figment of human imagination, and it's false doctrine. It's false doctrine. It's false doctrine. So I'll read you just a little portion of it. A couple of preachers had called the name of our church and just kept on right in and saying things about our church. And so I finally decided to answer. So I answered this man by the name of so-and-so. I won't call his name here, but I called him here. Because he'd been writing in our paper against our church. And I wrote this. The scripture not only does not mention the word Trinity, it does not teach the doctrine of the Trinity. And then he made, and I referred to them, reference was made to the word Elohim in the plural form. They said the word Elohim, some say Elohim, whatever how you pronounce it. They said, wrote the paper and said that's plural form indicates plurality of persons in the Godhead. And they said it indicates uh, plurality of persons. But in Judges 6.31, Baal was called Elohim. In 2 Kings 1 and 2, Beelzebub was called Elohim. And they were not trinities. Elohim is applied to Jesus Christ. And it's proven that it's not merely a plurality of persons, but a plurality of attributes. Hallelujah. Trinitarian saying, I'm reading, that the voice that was heard at Jordan's bank demands... 
personality. Then I asked the question, did the voice emanating from Balaam's ass indicate personality? Jesus said to the rocks, and he said the rocks would, would cry out, and, uh, and they said, Hosanna to him that cometh in the name of the Lord. Would we believe rocks to have personality? They cried out. The truth is, that man who was baptized by John was also the omnipresent God, and he was responsible for that voice from heaven. Remember in John 3, Jesus came to be on earth and in heaven at the same time. You can't limit God. You can't restrict God. You can't climb down. You can't put him in a corner. You can't put him in a box. Hallelujah. Now, I won't read the rest of that for the sake of time. But years ago, Brother Booker, when I was a boy, debates were common between the apostolic Jesus and people and others. Almost all the world has lost their fight. They don't want to discuss what they believe because they don't believe enough to discuss. I said the religious world don't believe enough to talk about. And we Pentecostals, my apostolic people, must not let this truth die. It's got to be preached. It's got to be talked about. It's got to be taught. It's got to be preached. It's got to be taught. It's got to be talked about. I'm preaching just like I do at home. And that's the only way I know to preach. My wife's here. She'll back that up. Sister Renee Blades on the third row here. She's from our church. It has been almost 20 years. She was an ex-Catholic. Got baptized. Got the Holy Ghost. She's here. Hallelujah. And her daddy was Catholic all of his life. And just this year, we baptized him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is one Lord. His name is one. Jesus is the mighty God. Hallelujah. And it's all in him. Let me see. When I was a boy, they would preach one God, teach it. They'd sing about it. They'd sing songs about one God. And please don't get me wrong. I like new courses. I like a lot of stuff. We've got a full-time music director. We've got a nice choir. We've got a good youth crowd. I like it all. I said all. I don't like rock music real well. We're not going to have it in our church. I don't like rap music. I don't want hip-hop music in our church. I believe you ought to be able to understand what you're saying. Come on now. Give me that. Some of you amen. Well, go. You're not amen. Amen. I like to sing songs you can understand. Boy, I'll stay with you. Now, I heard a song when I was a teenager. That's been over 25 years ago. I knew I'd get two or three of you awake on that one, praise God. Lord, I, actually, I, I thought the other day, I've been preaching in seven decades. I ought to be 97. 
I started preaching in 1959. I, this is my seventh decade to preach in New York. And you know what? The truth is still the truth. I said the truth is still the truth. I started preaching as a teenager, and the truth that was truth then is the truth tonight. The truth of the book of Acts is the truth tonight. It hasn't changed. It doesn't change. I don't want an emerging church. I don't want a Johnny come lately. Emerging church. I want a Jesus name. One God. Apostolic. Holy Ghost. Tongue talking. Jesus name church. Let me see it. I'm going to tell you. If you didn't read Brother Coon's article on the emerging church, it would be worth your time. It was phenomenal. I want to tell you, I went to debate. That old man came up there with a guitar. They were debating people who didn't believe in music in church. He just activated them and agitated them. Up the he brought his guitar out. That was back in the 50s. And uh, he sang. And uh, I'm not a singer. I'm going to sing for you in closing night. And I fully understand that when I sang, angels weep. Now, I understand that when I sang, heaven's flag is thrown at half-mast. I understand that. But it went something like this, the song that old Jim Casey sung in a debate in 1956. There's only one God in the Bible. The scriptures so plainly declare. Some say there are three separate persons, but you can't find that anywhere. And he was singing to hundreds of people that didn't believe it. And they were as mad as an old wet hen. And the chorus was, one God, one God, one God is sufficient for me, for me. One God, one God, one God is sufficient for me. Verse 2. Now Jesus said, I'm in the Father. And the Father's in me. Now if they're both in one another, how can there still be two or three? One God, one God, one God is sufficient for me, for me. One God, one God, one God is sufficient for me. Only got 27 more verses. Go for it. I was preaching revival when I was a single evangelist in Mississippi, and they said, this girl got up saying she had a guitar, and she sang. That's a long time ago I was single evangelist. My sweet wife, she and we've been married happily for 48 years. And uh, so this girl got up saying, and she literally sung a song that had 28 verses. I speak the truth in Christ, I might not. 28 verses. This one's not that long. I haven't looked at this, even thought of it in years, but I got to... I got to study on the Godhead recently. No one is going to be preaching here. And I went back in the back of my mind and tried to pull some of these verses up. Verse 3. Now let us make man in our image. Some say that this proves there are three. But if you will read when he did it, the pronouns were him, his, and he. One God. One God, one God is sufficient for me, not three. One God, one God, one God is sufficient. Now, last verse, verse four. I don't, that was some more, but I don't know. 
There's only one throne up in heaven. I suppose keys on this place. There's only one throne up in heaven. You won't find another one there. So if there are three up in heaven, they'll have to play musical chairs. God, one God, one God is sufficient. Hallelujah! All right, folks, let's all stand on our feet and praise God tonight. Let's stand on our feet and praise God. is the chief cornerstone. To the artist, he's the one altogether lovely. There's scriptures on this, but I won't name them. To the astronomer, he's the sun and the morning star. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the unsearchable riches. To the biologist, he is life. To the botanist, he's the plan of renown. To the bride, he's the bridegroom. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's a nail and a door. To the Christian, he's the son of the living God. To the, to the disconsolate, he's the comforter. To the drifter, he's an anchor. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's a superb teacher. To the engineer, he's a polished chef and living way. To the farmer, he's the sower and the wheat and the lord of the harvest. To the flowers, he's the rose and the lily. To the friendless, he's a friend with sicker closer than a brother. To the geologist, he's the name, the genealogist, he's the name above every name. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the heavy laden, he is rest. To the horticulturist, he's a true vine. To the jeweler, he's a precious stone. To the judge, he's a righteous judge, the judge of all. To the juror, he is the true and faithful witness. To the king, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. To the lawyer, he's our counselor, advocate, and lawgiver. To the lonely, he's our abiding companion. To the lover, he is our big cross. And to the metaphysician, he's the author and omega. To the musician, he's a new song. To the newspaper man, He's the good tidings. For the oculus, he's the light of the eye. For the philanthropist, he's the unspeakable gift. For the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. For the photographer, he's the express image of his person. For the pilgrim, he's the way. For the potter, he's the vessel of honor. For the preacher, he's the model preacher and the word of God. For the ruler, he's the king. Of earth, to the sailor, 
He's the master of the ocean and sea. To the sculptor, he's the living stone. To the servant, he's the good master. To the shepherd, he's the lamb and the good shepherd. To the sinner, he's the savior. To the slave, he's the redeemer. To the soldier, he's our captain. To the statesman, he's the desire of all nations. To the storm boss, he's a refuge in storms. To the students, he is truth incarnate. To the theologian, he's the author and finisher of our faith. To the thirsty, he's the runner of life. To the toiler, he is the rest giver. To the traveler, he's the new and the living way. To the unclean, he's the fountain of cleansing. To the weak, he's the power of God. To the widow, he's the husband. To the wise, he's the wisdom of God. To the zoologist, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead is in Him. In Genesis, Jesus is Creator. In Exodus, He's the Passover Lamb. In Leviticus, He's the High Priest. In Numbers, He's a pillar of five night. In Deuteronomy, He's a prophet like an Moses. In Joshua, he's a captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's a judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In the Kings and Chronicles, he's a reigning king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the world, broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom and perfection. In the Psalms of Psalms, He's the Lord and bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the righteous prince. In Lamentation, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of life, thirty five furnace. In Hosea, he's a faithful husband. In Joel, he's a baptizer with the Holy Ghost. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Torah, he's a great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the ruler in Israel, who's going forth a bent from old. In Nahum, he's the messenger that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known and wrath, remember mercy. In Zephaniah, he's our Savior. In Haggai, he's restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's a fountain open up to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Malachi, he's the son of righteous, rising with healing wings. Hallelujah. Do you know who Jesus is? The man of Galilee. He healed the sick and raised the dead, closed blinded eyes to see. Some say he was a good man while on this earth he trod, but he's Jesus, my Lord and my God. In Matthew, he's a deliverer and Messiah. In Mark, he's a wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he's the justifier. In Corinthians, he's the sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the supplier of every need. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. In Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. To Timothy, first, second Timothy, he is the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In Titus, he's a faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a faithful brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's a great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd who shall soon appear with a crown of unfading glory. 
First, second, third, John, he's love. And Jude, he's the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. In Revelation, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Aaron's rod that budded. He's Abraham's ram. He's Daniel's visions. He's David's slingshot. He's Elijah's mantle. He's Ezekiel's water to swim in. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Isaac's bride. He's Jacob's ladder. He's John's pearly white city. He just was trumpet. He's Miriam's song. He's Moses' burning bush. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Paul's handkerchiefs and eight aprons. He is Samson's strength. He is Samuel's horn of oil. He's Solomon's wisdom. But he's Jesus, my Lord and my God. I wish that everybody that loves him and knows him and appreciates the understanding of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ would lift your hands and with a loud voice give praise to him.